the name of the workshop is Turning Lost a Legacy, uh, which is part of the proactive grieving process. And we find ourselves, you know, scared and lonely in a cave of despair. And we eventually walk out of the dark and into the light and uh, try to make, uh, rebuild our life uh, from the, the ravages that we find ourselves in. And that takes a long time. People underestimate that grief is a lifelong journey, especially for the loss of a child in our family. It is a lifelong journey. And so we have a choice of uh, being bitter or better or crumbling or rebuilding. And so I talk about turning lots of legacy uh, because it's been 31 years since my son died in 1987. And prior to that, I lost my father at 15, my brother uh, at, uh, when I was 21, and my twin sister and her two sons uh, when I was 29, and then my son when I was 32, and my mother when I was uh, 42, and, so, and my father at 15. So I've been living a life of loss and but when my son died is what propelled me into the depths of despair that I had, uh, I, I, I could not believe. I thought I had been prepared by the deaths I had before. Uh, but it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I could not honestly live without him. So the initial grief, I did not turn off the legacy. I, I, I gave up, I basically. We'd been fighting cancer for 18 months. I was so tired. I just went to work and came home and drank every day. Uh, the pain was just too real to face. And tell, but I couldn't do that for a year or so. And I walked in front of my, my son's picture and I fell to the floor and cried. And I said, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot walk by your picture every day and not look at you, not see you. And I just crushed on the floor and I said, Kelly, I'm bringing you back like Lazarus. You know, I, I used to say I had a son, his name is Kel was Kelly and he died. Now I say, I have a son, his name is Kelly and he died. But using the first person really empowers us to move forward, that they're not completely gone and we can still have some sort of relationship with them. And that's what brought me back, that I could establish a new relationship on a spiritual level, I could still talk to him. I started writing him letters. I sent him letters every couple months that I just put into an envelope and put in a drawer. Um, and that's why I, I, I wrote a book, Letters to My Son. It's from the letters that I had written over a year to him to keep a, an active uh, first-person dialogue going with him. Um, there we go. So the story continues uh, for their life and ours. We become the legacy builder. Uh, we become their voice, their hands. We become everything for them. We become their avatar on earth to, to keep them present in the world, that they still can participate in the world and still have an effect on the world. Um, and now it's been 31 years, and I know that to be true of the effect that, that my book has had, that my uh, talking around it, my granddaughter, that the effect my granddaughter living with proactive grieving, that my granddaughter knows her Uncle Kelly, and she, I mean, she cries about it. She miss, I miss her Uncle, Uncle Kelly, and, and you know, she was, she's only 10 years old. He's been dead for 31 years, but she talks about him all the time and has a special relationship with him as well. And so that can happen. We don't put, have to put our family member out to pasture and put it behind us. We learn to live with it and keep an active part of our life. So it's becoming an intentional survivor. 
to say that I will survive this journey. You set intentions. You 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 look. You you make the actual intention. Sometimes we say, I, I'm so sick, I'll never get over this, or I'll never get over this. Well, we might not ever get over this stillness or get over uh, how we're feeling uh, because we keep repeating it to ourselves that I will never get over this. So we say, no, I will get, I'm not over this, but I will thrive, I will survive, I will survive this. I will become an intentional survivor. I will become my best resource. I will use body, mind, soul, and spirit, all that I have, to figure this new journey out. Um, and I don't even like the word new normal. It's a different normal. Uh, there's nothing, I, I just, I it, it changes. It's been changing for 31 years. So it's never been a new normal. I never had a new normal before uh, my son's loss. So uh, it's just a different normal. Like we're experiencing the pandemic. It's a different normal. So our, but our child dies a second time when no one speaks their name. So we're charged with keeping them alive in the world and say their name. People won't say their name because they're afraid they will cry or upset us. Really? I mean, I could die, cry at a, at a drop of a hat anytime over my son. And so someone doesn't have power to make me cry. They just give me permission to cry. And uh, so I appreciate when people say their name. If it makes me cry or if it makes me smile, I like to hear his name no matter how. And so I call it proactive grieving. And this kind of proves out when I say that I, uh, my grandchildren uh, have been living with proactive grieving. Because uh, my granddaughter, my youngest, who's 15 now, uh, when she was probably about 10, about, you know, 45 years ago, and we lived on the farm. Uh, we since sold the farm. We've been in a condo for several years now. But we lived at a farm for 23 years. We had four horses, four dogs, cats, chickens, goats. We had everything. So the, the, the kids grew up with, you have animal loss on a farm. So there, there are some losses. And, and Louise, our, our little dog with a halo on its head there, um, we had to put down because it got in the pasture and killed our goat. And we just could not have a dog with grandchildren around that, that even though it was a beautiful dog and loved children, if you were a cat or an animal, you were in trouble. Uh, so we had to put him down. And then Lola, our basset of 14 years, just died of old age that summer. We had to put her down. And um, we buried them in our pet cemetery in our back pasture. And then, then that summer, uh, Grandma Clara died, their great-grandma Clara. And so there was a lot of deaths. And, and um through the summer, then my daughter says, well, you're going to get some an animal for the dog. I mean, for, you know, more animals because you've lost it. I said, no, we're no more animals. It's with Trisha. We're not going to get replaced animals on the farm. Um, and I said, why don't you get a cat? So she bought a cat for her grandchildren, for her children. And, um, but then that September, come first day of school, uh, they had to go to school and mama had little baby Emma in her hands and my daughter. And when Kinsey, my granddaughter, got on the bus and, and she gave the cat, you know, to her mom, and then the bus took off, her mom set the cat down. But the bus was real slow moving, and the cat ran after the bus and ran under the back wheels of the car, of the bus, and was killed. And my daughter calls me, what do I do, Dad? What do I tell her? I said, we tell her the absolute truth. We, we do a dishonoring and disservice to our children in this country by... Uh, separating them from the grief process. If they're old enough to understand and not scream and cry at a church, church funeral, I think they should be allowed to be there. 
even at some meetings, that they be allowed to be there to talk about their grief. And so, so that is proactive grieving. So when Emma died, the cat died, I said, well, you know, bring her over tomorrow and we'll have a funeral. So they came over the next day in a shoebox and we had a funeral. We dug a hole, we planted, we played some music. And my granddaughter ran back to the house and said, I want to draw this. And she drew this picture. And she said, you know, I'm really sad for myself for losing my cat. And it's so sad for Emma that she died that way. But I can't help but be so happy for Uncle Kelly and Grandma Clara because they both love cats and they'll have a kitty in heaven to pet and, and to hold. And so that is really a different perspective than we were taught as children, that you can have grief and, and still have maintain a relationship at the same time. So I thought I used that as a title slide for my um, for this for the whole slideshow because that kind of designates what proactive grieving really is. So uh, this is a German saying called Tratstein ja zum Leben sagen, which means nevertheless saying yes to life. This, ever, this was written by Viktor Frankl, who survived the concentration camps. The original, the, this is the original title of the book. It was later changed to Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And it seems that everything can be taken from a, from a person, but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. When we're no longer able to change the situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. In our grief journey, everybody wants the old Mitch back. And I realized, and, they, and I told them, you're not, you know, I tried for years. I tried to go over to the old Mitch and try to laugh and play golf and do the things I used to do with my friends. And I, I just, I couldn't do it. And I became a different person. And, you know, so it's almost like a computer upgrade. I started out as an Apple AE1, and now I'm up to a Windows 10. You know, you keep upgrading your system to survive. Because when we're in grief, we're in grief, um, we have cognitive dissonance. It's a psychological term when we hold two different ideologies in our head. One, cognition one, cognition two, we have cognitive dis dissonance. And we are motivated by our brain to reduce that dissonance. Um, we come to a stop sign and it says, do not enter, enter only. People are behind us beeping. We go immediately into cognitive dissonance and stress because we just don't know what to do. So when our loved one dies, is cognition one, most people go to the, to the comforting lie sign. I'm fine. I'm doing okay. When people say, well, how are you doing? We usually respond, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm fine. And, and we're not. We're lying through our teeth with a comforting lie. Instead of going to the unpleasant truth line, said, I love, my loved one died and I'm miserable. Uh, but we don't do this. So we have that conflict within our head. And so, but we're finding out more people are starting to line up to the unpleasant truth line instead of the comforting lies. Because comforting lies does nothing to process our grief. Proactive grieving is not going through the five stages. Uh, many people, I'm sure, have heard of the five stages and that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross proposed. Um, but it's taking critical steps, one step negotiated at a time. There is no set pattern. There is no um, stage as a, a linear progression implies in a stage that you have to complete one stage before you can move successfully onto the next. And that's what the five stages kind of uh, 
model was built after. But many people, especially loss of a child, maybe are not in this anger stage at one point or they are right away. Or uh, there's a lot of different stages you don't go through in a stage. It's grief is all over the map. So I, I look at it more as a uh, stairs. Like there's six steps in processing grief. And the stairs, you can go up and down the stairs. You can skip a stair. Uh, you may find in your grief, you maybe successfully move to the top of the staircase. And then the next day, find yourself at the bottom again. Um, so I'm going to go through the stairs one at a time as it applies to the grief journey. The first step is shock, unilaterally, that we go through when we're in grief. Uh, we're numb head to soul. It's the body's protection. I talk about body, mind, soul, and spirit. Well, the body protects us right away by putting us into shock. If the true reality of the death were to hit our consciousness without the numbness of the shock, they say we would go absolutely mad. Uh, so our body goes into a lot of chemical hormones that put us into shock. So as that slowly, slowly weans itself from that and we numb out, we get the bits and pieces of reality in smaller bits um, until the full loss comes on, and, um, which it's different for everybody. But shock is unilateral. We all go into shock. How long that lasts is different from your experience and your age um, and the type of loss. Um, there's, all loss is so different. The second step is trauma. When the shock wears off, when the numbness wears off, we go into full-blown trauma. And that is like the hurricane or the, the earthquake that uh, shook Japan and then you had a tsunami that followed it. It's like the earthquake took our loved one and the tsunami took our life that followed it. And we can stay in the rubble or we can choose to rebuild in the trouble, in the trouble, um, in the rubble. So we're in trauma. Now what? We Now we look at Oh, how far, how where we go until we accept the journey, not accept that the loss occurred or the circumstances of the loss, which we'll maybe never agree with the, the, the circumstances of the loss or that they have died too young, but we can accept the journey to survive. And that's what acceptance is about, that I, I will become a legacy. I will build a legacy for my loved one. That is my challenge. That is who I, that is what I, that is what I'm accepting and that I will thrive so I can keep my son's name in this world as part of the world and so he can continue to be a part of it. So once we have accepted the loss uh, as, as, a, as a journey to take that we must take, uh, we look inside of ourselves. If uh, we look introspective, we look inside and say, what tools, what uh, gifts do I have? What, what tools don't I have? What limitations do I have that I can't get done? And so we ask for other people's help, uh, and that helps us a lot. As we find in the, in the grief journey, we're helping, we help others. So if we allow other people to help us, it is, allowing, it is also helping them. Um, so we find out those things, and we look within ourselves. And find out, I never thought I'd be a writer. Or I knew I was an artist, but I never thought I'd turn my art in, into um, uh, as part of my grieving process. Uh, because art is a, it's using the brain, body, mind, soul, and spirit. So journaling and artwork and music is very helpful in the grief journey. So we look and find out what we have that we can use to help ourselves. And when we find those tools and we find the things we have, we can reinvest in our life. Uh, we can uh, have a renaissance in our life. We can rebuild our life um, uh, with our loved one in it. 
uh, not without them. And so that takes a whole new real building process because it's a whole new world, a whole new perspective. But if we accomplish these, we can maybe get to the sixth step, which is serenity. And in serenity, we can hopefully find peace, that we can find peace in the process um, and, and move on, move forward to help others on their process to help them. And that's when we start to feel better even ourselves. There's so many things that we can do uh, to help others that will help ourselves. When I first started trying to help others, um, I didn't even know where to begin. Um, but I, uh, the Red Cross called me and asked me to go give blood. And I went and gave blood, and I came back, and my wife says, what's, what's wrong with you? What's different? You're smiling today. I said, I don't know. I went and gave blood. She said, well, that's the first time I've seen you smile since Kelly died. And I said, you know, you're right. I felt something different today. I was giving to somebody. I, my blood went to help a little boy with leukemia. You know, I, and that alone uh, helped me and wanted me to, to, to pursue doing that. So I became really like, I'm going to give right away. And they said, well, you have to give every six weeks or whatever the limitation is on whole blood. So I signed up to do apheresis back then. And I said, I want to give blood. I can give blood every two weeks, every month. And so since that time, I've given every month or a couple of weeks uh, since my son's death. And so to date, I've given over 50 gallons of blood, which has helped 1,300 lives to save or extend their life, all in my son's name. So is that a legacy, keeping him alive and helping others alive, that my son can still have an effect in this world with his life? Because that is his legacy that I'm maintaining for him. So I call the four pillars of equilibrium is that we as a human being uh, are composed of four separate components. Body, mind, soul, or spirit, and soul. And you may think that the spirit and soul are the same, but I'm going to go through these to show you that they are different. And to have that, those four quadrants of balance are huge in the grief journey to be able to be as strong as you can be. Uh, because our first defense in grief is going to be our body, the hormones that take over our body to put us into shock. So our body is the vehicle that gets us from point A to point B. It's a car. It's like a vehicle. Uh, it's, it's us. It's our body. Then we have our mind, which controls our body, which is the, the operating system of the car, the computer system, the dashboard that operates the car, is our mind and our body. Then we have the spirit, which is the, the energy from the universe, from God, that, that, that uh, energizes, that animates our body. Is the, the gasoline animates the car. Without the gas, without spirit, the body would not be energized. So then what's left? We have soul. Who's driving the car? That's us. Body, mind, spirit, and soul. We, our body's in shock when we go into grief. Our mind is, is, is cluttered with so much of the hormone that's hard to even think. We, we have CRS because uh, of the hormones. We can't remember stuff. Um, and, and we're low on gas. We're low on spirit. And, and our soul is the one making decisions. So our, our soul, we say, okay, what do I do? I listen to my body. Uh, it says it's tired. It says it's thirsty. It says it wants potato chips, you know? So we follow what our body says. Our spirit tells us things that we get intuitions from our, our loved one, or we get in prayer, we get insights, and we listen to the spirit. Uh, and we listen to our mind, we educate ourselves. We do all these things we can do. So it's finding balance and integrating that loss into your life. The yin and the yang, everything's in balance. Male, female, we're all grieved differently as well. 
But finding balance between hope and despair is our charge, that we can hold despair and hold hope at the same time. And that's what's so important about open to hope, that they can really help facilitate uh, holding despair and the hope at the same time. So when we look at body, mind, soul, and spirit, if you look at this diagram as being a table, and we're the table in the center, that's us. And that is finding our resilience. What for holds us up is mind, soul, body, and spirit. Like you can have a three-legged table. You can miss one of these. It's just not as strong. If your body is out of commission, it's going to be harder, uh, the grieving process. If your spirit is just complete, you have no, no, you have no belief in God, it, it, it's harder on the journey. Um, if your mind, if you're, if you're on drugs, you're cluttered with uh, 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 even antidepressants or things that you don't think clearly, uh, and your mind is clouded. Uh, if we don't have a support system, we don't have uh, compassionate friends, or we don't have other people to help us, um, that, is a, that is an issue. So it's trying to find all balance in all these, that, which are basically led to our ego, our superego, our collective unconscious, and our id. Our id is our body. We can't do anything about it. Our superego is our mind, which tries to override the id, and our mind thinks it's smart. Our mind thinks we can get through this journey. We can do it. Uh, but we find, soon find out we need to listen to spirit, soul, and our body. So where are you as a griever is important. When you first come, who, where are you as a griever? Are you a raw griever? Is your loss recent? Your heart is newly broken. Are you a frozen griever? Do you have complicated grief? Is your heart patched? Are you have, do you have PTSD? Which is very possible in a lot of bereaved parents' lives. Uh, the PT is maybe undiagnosed, but uh, PTSD is very possible. The reluctant griever. We are stuck postponing your grief. Your heart's on the shelf. When my twin sister and her boys were killed 18 months before my son uh, was diagnosed with cancer, I had to put my, my grief for my twin sister and the boys on a shelf. Uh, you know, I, I, I had to fight for my son's life, and then he died, and I had to grieve uh, for him. And it took me years to go back um, until I went to a Twinless Twins conference, uh, spe specifically for the loss of a twin, uh, because it is, um, it's a very unique loss, unless you're a twin, you don't know. In fact, twins call people that are not twins singletons, and they said, Singletons just don't get it if you're a twin. It's like losing your car keys and not ever being able to find them again. You're always searching for your car keys. We had nine months within the womb. Um, our body, mind, soul, and spirit got to know each other at a different level. But it doesn't mean we don't remember. Our body doesn't remember that feeling, our soul, our spirit. Consciously, we do not remember the experience, but everything else does. So we grieve that. There were adults that lost their twins at birth. And they were 60 years old at this conference, coming every year, grieving the loss for the baby they never met. That shows the power of grief and the power of that connection, uh, no matter what that connection is. And mothers that have given birth have that connection within them uh, is something a man cannot even understand. Uh, so even that is a difference. So then we have the proactive griever, which I'm talking about here. The, the intentional survivor, the heart has been repurposed. Uh, we, we, if you have a broken toy, what do you do with it? Normally in America, we throw it out and buy a new one. Or we put it on a shelf, and you're frugal, and you'll fix it later. Well, there's no fixing grief. And some people do throw their heart out. 
Um, but what it is is repurposing your heart. So we repurpose it to a new, a whole new goal in life that includes our, our child and not without them. Then we become a seasoned graver. A seasoned graver is someone who has reached equilibrium with the outside atmosphere of the world. Uh, we, we are not walking neck and neck with people when we lose our child. As first years, we're a, we're a baby in our grief. We struggle to even stand. We cry all the time. Uh, so it takes a long time to become a seasoned griever. Like raw wood is raw wood. Raw wood is not seasoned wood until it has reached equilibrium with the atmosphere content of the of the of moisture content of the wood has reached equilibrium with the moisture content of the atmosphere. Then it can be built, it can be burned, it can be strong, it won't warp, it won't bend. But when we're in grief and a raw griever like raw wood, we can't be utilized for anything. Our grief is so raw. Um, we can't, it's hard to rebuild our lives until we become more seasoned. Uh, when we're in the pains of grief, uh, we tend to go into the fetal position. We bend over, we rock, we hold ourselves, and that is the fetal position. So when we're like that, our lungs, we can't adequately breathe. Our diaphragm cannot adequately work, which do become hypoxic. If we're hypoxic, we have uh, we can lead to depression. It can acerbate other conditions. Uh, it acerbates our grief if we don't have enough oxygen. Um, and to do an exercise that you like to increase your, your the oxygen is to do a four, seven, eight. Is you breathe in uh, real slowly for four seconds, hold it for seven seconds, and then release real slowly for eight seconds. That can reset your brain and with 10 breaths like that, it can reset the whole vagus response system um, to go from fight or flight to rest and digest. So it's an important thing when you're getting anxious or a lot of anxiety is to remember the 478, that you can stop the progression of the anxiety just through breath. And water, we don't drink enough water. They say eight, 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 drink eight, eight. Eight glasses, eight ounce glass, eight eight ounce glasses a day of water. I know that's a lot, um, but I, when I quit smoking cigarettes after my son died, I started drinking water. So I got in a habit of drinking a lot of water. Um, so it's it's always people carry water bottles everywhere, but it's very important to hydrate ourselves um, uh, at the same time as we're breathing well too, to keep so we're not dehydrated and we're not hypoxic. Both can worsen the, the our bodies. Uh, grief journey, which is so prevalent in the early days. Um, and fuel, we need fuel. What we put into our body, we need, our body needs nutrition, our mind needs nutrition, and our well-being, social well-being being needs nutrition. Because we have grief food. This is the food we look for when we're eating. Ice cream, you know, <laughs> Darcy Sims used to say chocolate chip uh, or chocolate covered potato chip was the best grief food because it had the sweet and the sugar and the salts. And you know, so this is what we crave. Is it good grief food? Absolutely not. Does it make us feel better? Absolutely. I mean, we have memories of growing up and think, because our mind remembers everything. So when we're eating food that we love, it makes us feel good, we feel good. The tendency, but we can, you know, it can be hard on our health. Uh, so eventually we learn that there's other foods to eat. I make kimchi, I make sauerkraut, I make kefir, uh, I make my own yogurt, I make my own kumbacha, I make my own sriracha. I make almost everything I can, like sourdough bread. I've sent uh, sourdough, dried sourdough to 50 different bereaved parents over the pandemic. That I said, sourdough, they can't find yeast. But kneading bread, it's therapy I need. 
So that is all I have for today. Thank you guys for checking in. I appreciate you joining in. Thank you so much. God bless you guys.